welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson and I was really really hoping that this podcast would be on the back of a a victory because our, our podcasts tend to follow a habit of one low and then a real high and unfortunately that was not the case. Um, we will get onto that very very shortly but uh, first of all, it's time to return to our weekly commentary quiz. Each of us select a piece of commentary and read it to the other person with no context and no emotion, and the other person has to try and guess which goal we are describing. Uh, Andre, would you like to go first this week? Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, let's go. Yes! Breakthrough! And it's the young pretender. I've got it already. Um, that was Cesc Fabregas at home to Juventus in the Champions League run in 2005-2006. You are quite right, uh, which you knew. Yeah, as I said to you, I had to um, do some research and in line with uh, the Jens Lehmann podcast that's been out and about from Arsenal, the I had a watch of the run to the final and that goal I do think the the commentary for the Henri goal isn't quite uh, as established, if you like. But that one, I knew you'd get. And it's just, I know we've talked about the goal before, but it was just such a special moment in that run. It really, really was. Yeah, I watched the, the video of the, the run to the Champions League final as well. And it's... Oh, it's still heartbreaking. Uh, it's, I, I didn't watch it up until the final. I just went after Jens Lehmann's penalty save um, and then that was enough for me uh, <laughs> because I can't I can't handle reliving the final again because it was absolutely heartbreaking at the time. And even now, it, particularly when we were gunning to be the first London club to win the Champions League and then Chelsea doing it in 2012, um, that's, that kind of hit home the 2006 final more more so after the fact as well because it was just that that tiny missed opportunity but yeah that was heartbreaking and, and big soul posted his goal the other day i think did he say something around being the first i want to say i don't want to, i don't want to misquote this but i think he said something about being the first black english goal scorer uh in a champions league final quite niche but you know whatever makes soul happy uh, i guess you know it somewhat makes me happy yeah, I mean, I'm with you. If Sol's happy, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Very good. That's a good tackle by Pires on Vieira. Picked his pocket. Henri, plenty of movement ahead of him. Cesc Fabregas! Yes! Breakthrough! And it's the young pretender, Cesc Fabregas, who gives Arsenal the lead. So much attention on him in the build-up to this game because of the very presence of Patrick Vieira. And it's Fabregas who's made the breakthrough for Arsenal. Okay, I'm ready. Good stuff. Right, my one is... First chance, first goal. Oh... Is that Henri against Chelsea? It is Henri against Chelsea. What a goal. One of my favourites. Uh, really one of my favourites. And it, it, it's a goal that I don't think gets anywhere near enough enough credit for how good it is. Spectacular. Spectacular. Right, uh, right foot on the thigh. Sorry, right foot on the thigh. That would be bizarre. Uh, <laughs> control with the right thigh, in with the left clinical and it was in it was in the opening moments and that's when they were quite uh bitter rivals as well special yeah i mean we went into the game obviously we were defending champions and they were essentially the new kids on the block trying to uh, mark their authority and i remember the build-up to that game that chelsea were i don't want to say favorites but they really did fancy themselves coming to Highbury and, and getting a result and it was uh only due to Omri missing an open goal that we didn't beat them 3-2 that day. Um, that was also the day that Omri scored that quick free kick against Chelsea as well. Uh, Love that. It's just, uh, yeah, but that that goal um, was fantastic. And I remember an interview with Omri after that. I think, I'm pretty sure it was this game where Mourinho had said in the build-up that Omri only scores against small teams. And mm. he said in his interview after, well, Chelsea must be a small team then. 
<laughs> well, in classic they Thierry are. style. They are, they, <laughs> they always are. will be, regardless <laughs> of what they win. There will always be a small club. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, here, here. <laughs> I hate them. Our, da- our damning assessment of Chelsea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On the boys and men of white podcast. <laughs> I think that's a view shared by almost everyone. Not just Arsenal fans. No one likes them. No one likes them. Like there, there have been clubs that have been and done what Chelsea have done in terms of buying their way to success, but not quite in the same way. No. And it's they kind of were the, I suppose, the trendsetters for what is now a, a very sort of revered and expected approach for clubs that wish to make that sort of breakthrough to the to the upper echelons of English football. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, no, couldn't agree more uh, about dislike, but that was um, a phenomenal goal. It really, really was. Um, and it, it, it's one of those ones that still makes me sad thinking about because I can't remember the time, last time I saw a goal that had me off my seat the way that we used to score so regularly. Um most goals we score at the moment, I enjoy them, obviously, but not not anywhere near the same extent um, of watching a goal and thinking that is just a thing of beauty. So, bit bit melancholy as well, but uh, it's it's still nice to reminisce. Fabregas up to the head of Henri. Reyes, Thierry Henri, first chance, first goal! Inside 75 seconds. Ferrara gets sucked in and there's no one back on that side to get anywhere near Reyes but take your hat off to that finish you'd normally expect a defender to get close but such is the quality of the first touch they set it and then this second touch to finish it that's absolutely stunning from Henri what a start for the champions Okay, so moving on, uh, I suppose we have to we have to talk about the football. We have to talk about the football. Uh, <laughs> what did you make of uh, Sunday's nil nil draw with Leeds, Andre? Um, what did I make of it? Uh, well, before the game, actually, we didn't discuss this. We normally do. Would you have taken a point pre-match? Uh, I I wouldn't, and I the only reason I wouldn't is because, and I think I did discuss this with you, that I saw a list of our next ten fixtures, and I think someone said that in the corresponding fixtures last year we won one of those games, and I think I'm looking at our fixture list coming up and thinking that this is that was probably a game that I I, I looked at and thought we needed to win. Um, well, I don't know if that's because I've maybe still got like unrealistic expectations about where this team can really realistically finish this year, um, because I do think it's going to be a slog uh, now to, till the end of the season, and I think we're going to really struggle to. I, I, I think it's going to be a battle at this point to to get Europa League football, let, like, let alone clinging on to the hope of challenging for Champions League football. <laughs> do you know? Before we go into the nuts and bolts of this game. Two league games ago, we beat Man U at Old Trafford. I know, I know. <laughs> and we were we were saying, uh, I don't know what we were saying. I dread to think, I dread to listen to that back. It's party time. God knows what we can <laughs> achieve now. What a team. Mikel's cracked it. Uh, to feel, and I think, judging by social media, judging by all the other people we speak to, the air is well and truly out of the balloon. It feels like it felt last season already. And I feel terrible and I feel almost guilty for feeling the way I do because Arteta's come in. He's given a structure. He's turned these players around. He gave us such hope. He gave us the FA Cup. And already you're going, you know, there are legitimate questions. Yes, there are problems with the personnel in this squad. But you're going, is this manager really good enough? And you're starting to see a divide. And much like the Latavenga years, you could understand why, regardless of which side of the fence you one would fall on. I think we're almost there again. And I can't believe that we are where we are. Um, and to feel just so flat and bored in every game. I'm so bored. And, you know, especially in the UK at the minute, being in lockdown, um, you know, all we've got to look forward to at the weekend is 
Arsenal. And you draw nil-nil, you, you don't, you're annoyed, you're furious at your winger. And we'll come on to Pepe, of course. Uh, and the whole thing's so incredibly frustrating. And we're living in this sort of prism of just frustration. And now I have just doubts and I have a, alarm bells are ringing about where this season's going because I am petrified at this point because we look utterly toothless. Yeah, we really do. And I think what makes me feel like an idiot is that, as you say, my, my life is so often centred around when Arsenal are playing. And even now, every week, I look at the fixture list and I think, oh, Arsenal are playing that day. That, at least that's something for me to do then. And then within probably one or two minutes of the game kicking off, I remember why I shouldn't be looking forward to watching Arsenal play football because we yep. just play such dour football now. We don't look like we've got any anything creative. Um, we've touched on that time and time again on this podcast that we, we lack that creativity. And it's not something that is new. Mikel Arteta knows it. All the players, I'm sure, know it. Um, all the fans know it. And it's just, it's very, very worrying. And I honestly, at the moment, if you were to ask me where we're going to finish, I would say I, I can't see us doing any better than we did last season because there's some really, really good teams around at the moment. I'm looking at teams like Southampton, who look like a, a, a good outfit. Uh, I'm looking at teams like Everton, who look like they've gone up a level this season. And those are teams that last year, we, although although you'd expect them to be tough games, they were games that we probably saw ourselves winning and now I'm not so sure it's as, as clear cut. So the games from last season that we did take points in, I'm not sure we are going to this year, mm. which is even more alarming. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and I just don't know what's happened. I just don't know what's happened. I don't know why we look so flat. Um, if, if we did, we'd be in, <laughs> well, we'd be in the game basically. Yeah. <laughs> because ultimately if you look at if you look at what's going on at the moment uh, around the club and the team I mean if we just start drilling into and I agree with what you're saying sort of wider points around this if we just drill into the Leeds game I thought first 10-15 minutes we were bright uh, yeah. no more than bright uh, <laughs> I don't think you'd say you could go as far as saying we started the game well um, there was a couple of moments. It was great to see Aubameyang through the middle and it just fell flat. And I think Leeds are always going to have, I think Leeds are going to have uh, a chunk of play against nearly every team this season. You know, the fact they went to Liverpool and scored three goals who are, and that was when Van Dijk was there, nominally the best defensive team. They will cause every team in this league problems just with that style and that commitment to attack. That's what impressed me so much about Leeds. Again, I talked about Grealish and Barkley and Watkins at Villa sort of jumping off the, the screen at you, showing you what you don't have and watching Leeds' commitment to go forward in those numbers again, was something that sort of you went, wow, we do not do that. We don't, you know, because Leeds will admit, and I think part of the joy of Bielsa, what he's been able to build there, is he knows he hasn't got top quality talent, but he uses those resources in a way to push them all forward. You know, overloads are all over the pitch. It's so hard to defend uh, and it's admirable in that way. And they had that spell before half time, And then because I just want to get stuck into talking about this, Start, second half starts. Nicola Pepe. <sighs> let's just let's just have this comment out here. He, we've said many times. I think he's an amazing footballer, amazingly talented, and, and no doubt he he you know he is. But he's watched Willian look like he's tugging a lorry. He's got Reese <laughs> Nelson who doesn't you know can't seem to get in favor he's got Lacazette who can't score he sort of got this unbelievable opportunity to get a run of games play himself into form and he has self-sabotaged which I am more worried about his mentality than anything else because what is he doing uh, I saw some debate about you know oh well he's gone down so, uh, Alioski's gone down so easily or bit of a dive and yeah okay 
when you put your head towards someone's head, it's a red card. It's been mm -hmm. a red card now for most of my adult life. So when you see someone do that for, you know, it's not, he barely, they weren't having a feud. It's not like he'd put, you know, Ali had laid one on him earlier. They were pushing a bit. Grow up. I thought he was so immature. And I just think self-sabotage is what, what I came away saying because he had the opportunity and he blew it. And that is weak mentally. That is really weak and alarming. Yeah, really alarming. And what frustrates me most about it is that I, I, I get that in the heat of a moment, you don't think about these things. But in this day and age with VAR, there's no way in a million years he was ever, ever going to get away with that. No. So I don't under, I don't understand what he was thinking. And as you say, it wasn't like it's a bit, it's a, a, a ongoing feud. It was a bit of a scuffle. And a couple of times they were sort of pushing and pulling against each other, but nothing sort of out of the ordinary. And then he goes and does that. And what I found really um, surprising about my, my outlook on the game, and this is going to sound fairly ridiculous because I think after that, Leeds hit the woodwork three times. Mm -hmm. But when, we, when it was 11 v 11, I thought we were going to lose that game. And when it went to 10 and we had to dig in and defend a lot deeper, then I felt like we had a lot better chance of taking something away from the game than, than we had done at, at 11 v 11. And we had to, we, obviously we had that Saka chance later on where you felt like that, that, was, that was the moment where if we were going to nick it, we were going to nick it there. But going back to Pepe, I just I couldn't believe what I was watching. And, and <laughs> as soon as it happened, as soon as we seen one replay, me and you looked, I texted each other and just said, ways off. Straight away, so. and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I didn't understand why VAR for that one told the referee to go and have a look at it because I did, to, to me that's not something which should need a look at. It should surely that was that one should have been to the referee. Uh, he's put his head into his head and he's, he's he's visibly done it. There's no defending it. I don't, I don't know why they needed to go and have a look at that, but I suppose that's just a, a an argument for the sake of having an argument. And then after the game. Um, I've seen two lines of thought because obviously Arteta was very vocal about his uh, disgust at, at the situation, how much he felt Pepe had let the team down. And I saw some people criticising Arteta for throwing Pepe under the bus a little bit with that. But quite frankly, what Pepe did um, at that point of the game was completely indefensible. And I'm not really sure what they were expecting Arteta to come out and say. Because it's all well and good saying, okay, um, well, we'll deal with it internally. But sometimes a player needs that, I suppose, a kick up the arse to, go, to let them know that that's not acceptable. And I'm sure Pepe knows it's not acceptable. I'm sure Arteta has told him that. Um, but I just, I, to me, I didn't really get that criticism that he threw him under the bus, so to speak, because I don't think he really had a choice. Mm, interesting, interesting. Because I, when I... So I can't remember why. I think I paused the game, but I wanted to watch the reaction. Not pause the game, sorry. Post the game. I think I needed to do something or I was calling, I don't know, probably texting you and just getting my anger out, texting people that we hadn't taken all three points. Um, but I was surprised. I, I, you know, he said um, it was, uh, did he say it was um, a disgrace? What, he used a word that I thought was fair enough, unacceptable. So Arteta says it's unacceptable. But then he says, I was pleased with the reaction after Pepe let the team down. And I did think, uh, just, just, I thought, whilst I agreed, I did think that was unusual. I've never really heard a manager do that. And I'm in two minds with that. A, I agreed with him and I was sort of on board. And if that's Arteta's style, fair enough. But also I went, young manager, young manager. That's what it said to me. I thought, do you know what, that, you don't see many experienced managers throw players under the bus like that. And I get what you're saying, and I agree to a point, but I did think, hmm. And actually, it made me reflect and go, do you know what? As I said on the last pod, it is a journey and there will be bumps. But when you're a player who you already don't trust, I mean, when's Pepe going to play again? When is he going to play again? There's no, he probably play, okay, in the league. You know, Europa League, you might play because it's probably more of a punishment to play in that and go to Norway <laughs> than sit at home. I think but, that that was a, that was a big takeaway for me. That obviously he's going to have was it a three game ban for a straight red, isn't it? Yeah. So three game ban, and then after that, you're looking at it and thinking, well, I, d I don't know when is Arteta going to put him back in the team and be able to trust him in the in the Premier League. That's that's going to be the big thing. 
Um, and I think we've already seen that Arteta is uh, is someone who wants to play Willian um, for some reason, with, despite Willian not not really doing an awful lot in my eyes to to warrant <coughs> being in those starting lineups. And presumably, we're going to see maybe Reese Nelson get an opportunity with Pepe being out as well. Um, so you do look at that and think if if someone like Reese Nelson can come in and take his chance, then it could be a while before Pepe's back in. Yeah, I mean, the biggest concern for me, I mean, I'll, I'll circle back round to Willian after I make this point, um, or like, is I just think it means Lacazette plays, Aubameyang goes left and Willian goes right. And that's infuriating. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're probably right. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, like we spoke about it on the weekend and said that we'd love to see Arsenal just go with the youth players because when we had a front three of uh, Bukayo Saka, Aubameyang, and Reese Nelson, I said that if that had been eleven v eleven, I'd be so excited about that front three because it's just. It, I suppose it's the unknown because we we as much as we've seen little glimpses of Reese Nelson and obviously Bakaya Saka is so young that we, I, we sort of look at him and think well the world's kind of at his feet but it's the unknown of not really understanding what that could be capable of achieving and mm. I was really disappointed that one of the first times we've seen that as an option is when we've already down to 10 men and we're already digging in to try and save a point yeah yeah I mean, one of the things I just have to say to just completely agree with you on the youth, to have Willian taking minutes from Reese Nelson, the way he started his Arsenal career minus the first game is appalling. And I'm actually embarrassed we've got him on our books the way he started. I know there's quite a lot wrong with how we're building play, but Willian is just not on. It's just not acceptable for him to be performing this at this lower level. I think the fact he went to, without knowing any of the details, but the fact he went to Dubai and broke sort of um, the trust, if you like, of the club on top of everything else, it's just so poor. I thought Reese Nelson looked bright. But if you ask me now, you know, if you reflected, would you rather have seen Reese Nelson learning, um, getting experience and knowledge compared to Willian, who's doing nothing? I don't think Willian's not made a difference in any result or any game minus the Fulham one, but look at Fulham, you know, anyone can beat them, it, it appears in this league. So <laughs> you can't really hold a candle or hold it, that in any sort of light. Um, so it's just so frustrating. And I think Arteta's got to, and I hope at some point in the season, he leans into youth and he says, do you know what? Joe Willock can't play number 10, by the way. It's a separate no, he issue. Can't, he, can't. But I, <laughs> he can't play number 10. He hasn't got the technical security. He hasn't got the final ball. What he's great at is breaking the lines from a deeper position. So when we play him in a different position, he can't. it's not what he's good at, and he's a bang average player. What he's good at is he's got the legs to get up and down, will be that sort of um, second or third layer into the box. But, you, you know, play two strikers. Play a proper number 10. Uh, not that we've got one, but that I'm not getting into. I'm not, we're not talking about Ozil. Uh, no, we're not. We're not. But, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but do something. Play Lacazette behind a Bamiyang. You know, why not? It's just so infuriating to watch the same kind of thing go round and round and round. Um, and just to your point when you said about being excited with the front three, how good is Bakayo Saka? He's so good. He's so, so good. Um, and I think once he you still get the get the feeling when he's in front of goal, I'm going back to that late chance that he had. When he's in front of goal, you do get the feeling that he's not maybe not as confident in his ability as you, as you think someone like him maybe should be. And I think mm. once he gets over that and, dis and discovers just how effective he can be, and then I, th I think it's frightening what, what how good a player we could have on our hands that's come through our, our academy, which yeah. is so exciting. But he's just... He did more in the what was he on for? Probably sort of 20 25 minutes, probably if you factor yeah. in his, the injury. And he did more in that time than William has done all season. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. it did make a difference. And, and going back to Reese Nelson, I thought up until obviously it was a very short time that we were 11 v 11, but I thought he looked bright, I thought he looked sharp on the ball, he was keen on getting the ball and dribbling at people. Um, I like the way that he was drifting inside um, from that left-hand berth. 
and it, it just got me really excited and was so disappointed when the red card happened because you knew then that you're not going to see a true representation of what he can actually do. So, yeah, and and he did come under scrutiny for his set pieces, which were when you have ten men, they have to be good, <laughs> and they were so bad, <laughs> they were appalling. I was so angry that made me, uh, you know, look, it's a young kid, you don't want to kill him, but that was really shocking. Um, but yeah, I think. <laughs> I just think that, you know, there's many ways to create chances and we don't have many players who can beat a man. If you have Nelson and Saka on the outside, right and left, they can beat a man, you know, and I just feel that's different. I I would have said Pepe, but I do think he has set his Arsenal career back to not an unrecoverable position, but it would be very hard for him to become a regular starter under Mikel Arteta after that. Yeah, and uh, going back to back to Pepe, actually, I, I, I saw someone having a conversation on Twitter, and it, it was a stupid conversation, but I think one of the newspapers had come out with a headline saying that pound for pound, he was one of the worst signings in Premier League history. And obviously, that's that, that's a ridiculous statement. And someone said, you say this, and in the same summer, Chelsea spent £75 million on Kepa. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they were just saying that and being like, it's ridiculous. You can't, you can't make claims like that when that was in the same window. So. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. But, but if you right now got an offer of thirty million uh, for him in January. Unfortunately, I think I think we're in a position now where you you probably do take take it. Maybe not thirty million. Maybe you're looking at maybe forty. But um, I think that's the sort of reason when you you seriously start questioning. Well, maybe maybe this one's not going to work for us. And it's it's so disappointing because you look at what he can do when he's on form, and he can do a lot that we don't have in that team at the moment. But he's not doing it, and. He's shown that he could, the manager's not going to trust him for a while with with those sort of performances, and it wasn't even that. Like up until that point, he hadn't done anything really to to light the game up or really justify mm. his inclusion. So we can talk about that incident in isolation, but if we look at his performances um, and, like you said, that massive opportunity he had, I hadn't seen anything from him really that. Made made me think. Okay, well, he's he's the answer to the to the creativity problems. Because um, the only thing I really remember him doing was that cross that that hit the crossbar. Um, and beyond that, he didn't really offer that much. But then again, we go back to the same issue of there's no transition between the defence and the attack. So, <laughs> how much can you criticise the, the the attack when you don't have those players that are linking the play? You're quite right. And it's um, it's just a sorry state of affairs. And I just think... I, 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 I don't know whether it's better or worse that we can't go. What do you reckon? I, 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 think, it, I think the atmosphere would be so, so toxic at the moment. Like, we're, we're probably at the point where any misplaced pass would, would just have an upheaval of anger within the stadium if we were there um so i'm not i'm not sure uh i i i'll be honest i miss i miss the away games more than i do the home games at the moment because it's although you kind of get that anger and dissatisfaction at both obviously you don't get it to quite the same degree away at most away games i should say because there are some notable exceptions um, to that i know mm. you, i know you've mentioned in the past about crystal palace away when uh when Ooh, you said was it was one of the most horrific and to- uh, toxic atmospheres you've be- ever been involved in so yeah yeah i mean i i have to say i think uh, just before we're coming on air weren't we were talking and i was just saying that actually if we'd gone to elland road which uh, I'm reliably informed by a lead supporting friend is a horrible experience for away fans. Um, (laughs) And I can imagine that is the case to to have snaffled a point with 10 men. I I think I'd have felt better driving back from Yorkshire with a point in our pocket. 
you know, I think you could compartmentalise it a little bit better. Um, but I just don't know. And I do think, again, it, it, it's exacerbated. We're not even 10 games in. We get a couple of wins in out. Well, I hope we get, if we get, well, let's put it this way. If we win our next two games, a lot will be forgiven. Not Europa League. But if we uh, beat Wolves at home and go to uh, the toilet bowl and win, sorry, the Armitage Shanks Arena. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think uh, I think I'll be very happy. You trade in a lot, you know, because anything to knock them off uh, their current um, progress would be perch. Yes, would be quite welcome. Yeah, I think the the less said about yes, let's not talk about it. This is depressing enough. Yeah, I think if we talk about that, then one of us, if not both of us, might cry. And I, I don't, I don't think the listeners want to hear that. <laughs> mm, both. What that, what that does bring us quite nicely onto is um, obviously the news this week that the government are going to allow some fans to be back into football stadiums in certain areas. Now, I, uh, if I remember correctly, it's providing it's not a tier three area then at least a minimum of 2,000 fans will be allowed in and a maximum of 4,000, depending on what the tier is. So that is an opportunity, potentially, that some fans might be allowed to go back to the games, um, maybe even before, uh, probably even before Christmas. So that's quite a, a significant step forward. But I, I, I don't know, my, my sort of reaction to it was that Obviously, Arsenal as a club have about 40,000 season ticket holders. And potentially, if if we're assuming London goes back into a tier two, then you're looking at 2,000 tickets for between 40,000 season ticket holders. So it's it's still something which is going to be a, a huge, huge issue for the club. Um, and I'm not sure what they're going to do to solve that issue. Um, but it also made me quite sad because you think of a 60,000-seater stadium potentially with 2,000 people in it, and it's just going to be surreal to see uh, because it, like, all, I almost see that as a, as a sadder image than a stadium being empty, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially if they all went up a tier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would look very odd. I mean, the, the, the point you made that I agree, I agree. I mean, the thing that I can't uh, quite get my head around is that if it's 4,000, let's be positive and say it's 4,000, that means we get one in 10. You get a one in 10 game chance of going, which is... That's not really much, is it? I mean, that's that's... Obviously, it's not much, but that is so low. And I make it that we've... What have we had? Three home games already? Yeah. So 16, 16 home games in the league remain, you know, chucking a handful of Europa and say we get up to 20 home league games by the time this, uh, and that's assuming nothing else happens with lockdown. So you'll go to two games this season. Uh, and that in itself is almost, it's not worse than not being able to go at all. But, but it's close. Is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's I, close. Think, I, I think the thing I, I will really struggle with, like, like at the moment, I can kind of uh, compartmentalise everything because I'm not I'm not the only one who can't go. No one can go at the moment. I think when there's a handful of people allowed to go, if on those occasions when that's happening and I can't go, then that's going to be... I, I, I think I'm going to really struggle with that because... Part of being a season ticket holder is that you know you have access to every home game. You know that you're going to every home game at the very least. And it's going to be really, really sad and, and hard to see that. And obviously for the for the foreseeable future as well, I can't imagine away fans are going to be involved. And that's such an integral part of what, what football is about, mm. that it's going to be just such a bizarre atmosphere amongst those select few that are allowed in, in attendance. So, <laughs> Especially yeah. they can't, what was it, they can't shout or sing i mean uh, get, there's no point in me going i'll get kicked out <laughs> yeah no I, 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 so i read something today that it was you're not allowed to shout sing and no alcohol so um i mean that sounds like a a pretty different experience to live football than what we're used to <laughs> <laughs> i just i love the thought of a goal going in just going yes Yes. Every, every, yeah, under, under your breath because you don't want to be chucked out. <laughs> yes, 
last minute winner. Yes. Well it's done. Just gonna, it's just going to be everything happens. It's just going to be a golf clap, isn't it? <laughs> Have you ever seen the uh, video where they replace um, Ronaldo's free kick for Portugal against Spain with golf commentary? And <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, oh, it's special. And they replace a, I think it's a Tiger Woods putt with uh, the free kick commentary. And it's just amazing. Uh, it's sort of a golf commentator going, uh, and here he is. He lines up the free kick. And it's over the wall and it's in. And you just hear this like... And then the the opposite of a commentator going, it's going in the hole, it's going in the hole, can you believe it? Yes! And then the crowd goes ballistic. <laughs> it's such a good video. Anyway, I probably haven't done it justice. I'll send I, it to I, you after. And I, then I, think, I think golf golf should be more like that, I think. I think uh, more, more people would watch it if it had a bit of atmosphere. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, amazing, amazing. But all in all, Tom, I think I, I just feel... Look, if it's two games, I just hope I get two of them and I hope I get two good ones. Because if my two games had been Leicester and Villa at home, I'd want to <laughs> rip my face off. I'd, I just, can you imagine turning up, not even seeing a shot on target for Arsenal? Uh, the, the other yeah. issue that I, I don't know how they get round, because obviously they've said that it's only going to be um, in certain tiers that you're allowed to have uh, the the fans in attendance. The mm. other thing I don't understand is Arsenal have so many supporters and lots of these are season ticket holders like myself that travel in from different areas. So obviously I live down in Kent and my <laughs> area that I the area that I live in Fanet is in the top three worst hit areas in the country at the moment. So. Right. What the what that means in terms of being allowed to then go to let's say a football match in a tier say say London goes into a tier two or a tier one, then I'm not sure how that works and and how they police that so to speak. So it might be something that if that is going to be a problem, they might just keep it to people who are with living within a certain distance of the ground. In which case mm. you're probably laughing. <laughs> well, let's hope so. And look, if you need to send me a ticket, that's fine. <laughs> yeah <laughs> if i if i'm not allowed to leave Thanet um to go to a football match then you'll be the first person on my list don't you worry <laughs> oh, good stuff and if you want to send tickets to someone who can potentially carry the virus around then uh, i'm your man as well <laughs> sure i'll keep that in mind <laughs> But no, I, d I don't know how it works. I don't know how it will work. I'm sure I'm sure the club will uh, communicate with us shortly because uh, obviously lockdown ends on the second and that's from when it's allowed. So potentially, I think we've got a home Europa League game uh, on the Thursday after that. So potentially, that's one that you may have some fans in for. Um, mm. and certainly, certainly our next home game after that. So all up in the air, all up in the air. Okay, I think that brings us on nicely now to our final segment of this fantastic podcast, which is where we look at a kit from years gone by and reminisce about some of the fantastic goals that we it makes us think of. And the kit that we have chosen for today is the 1999-2000 home shirt. Now, this home shirt was very similar to the one that we spoke about in the last podcast, which was the 98-99 home shirt. And the only difference was that we had a different sponsor. And I remember at the time, I grew up as a, uh, a family that had Sega consoles. So we had a Mega Drive, we had a Sega Saturn. Um, and when Arsenal got sponsored by Sega, uh, I was astounded that something that I was invested in was on the front of my club's shirt. <laughs> and the home shirt actually had Dreamcast written on it because obviously that was the uh, that was the product that Sega were trying to shift at the time. So very similar shirt, red shirt with a blue trim. As I said in the last podcast, that shirt uh, on the 98-99 shirt made me feel like it was a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so excited about it. And very similarly, I was very excited about this one. So, Andre, would you like to tell me about the first goal that you think of when you see or hear about this shirt? Yes, absolutely. And as I said to you, uh, 
for some reason, when I couldn't sleep the other day, I actually put this season review on. So there we go. It was timely, timely. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Tom just sends me the shirt randomly and I have to uh, just collect my thoughts immediately, which is, uh, which is always interesting to see what comes straight to mind. But uh, I actually have a fun reason for this goal. So this, uh, the goal that came to my mind was uh, in the second game of the season away at Derby County was uh, Emmanuel Petit. Uh, 25 yard left foot, uh, wonderful strike to put us one nil up in the game. Uh, but the reason it actually came to my mind is um, so Elliot, who is a listener of this podcast, uh, he was at Pride Park that day and celebrated wildly. And his celebration uh, was filmed. They caught him on camera and then it was in the match of the day theme tune the following season. Uh, you know the sort of montage they do pre-game. So uh, was this was this the clip? Was it two two people yes, in the clip? Yes. Yes. So mad. He's could... one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like one of those clips. They're going, you know, you know. Upon reflection, I'm sure he's going. He's going way too mad for a second game of the season goal in the 40th minute at Pride Park. But yeah, there you go. It came to my mind for that reason. Um, it, Derby County's uh, goal scorer that day, Rory Delap. Oh, I hate Rory Delap. <laughs> I hate Rory Delap. Um, and the winner was scored by Dennis, wasn't it? It certainly was. It certainly was. Uh, yeah, and and, and uh, side note, just because I know neither of us necessarily mentioned it, I was out fishing for the first game of the season, the first time I've ever fished and listened to the first game of the season, this Derby County one was the second, uh, on the radio, and I went berserk when we got a 90th minute winner. <laughs> Whilst I... fishing, which was not the etiquette. <laughs> there you go. Two angles you did not no. expect. Two anglers we did not expect. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Okay, so that leads me on to my first goal. And my first goal uh, from that season uh, is a goal scored by Dennis Bergkamp, as so many of my goals that I think of are. (laughs) And it was in a victory at home to Middlesbrough. And I believe Mark Overmars scored a hat-trick in that game. But the Dennis Bergkamp goal uh, was a goal that really summarised everything there was about Dennis Bergkamp um, from an attacking point of view because he picks the ball up and manages to fight off an opponent um, with some really quite quite incredible upper body strength. And whilst he's doing this, he really turns magnificently and then rifles one into the top corner from the edge of the box. And I think it just goes to show what a all-round player Dennis Bergkamp was because he had the finesse but on top of the finesse he also had this nasty streak and he had this physicality that I'm sure must have been horrible to play against and that's why I love the goal because it was just Bergkamp showing everything together a fantastic touch a fantastic physical strength and then an incredible finish and that's what Bergkamp could do at his very very best Hmm. um so I, 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 that's just a goal that I, that I always think of from that, from that season because it just it summarised everything great about him. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, he really was a combination of physicality and art, and that's one of those things. It's always forgotten how aggressive he was. I think that's something that people don't quite realise. Is I remember a red card against West Ham as well. Uh, Elbow Steve Lomas. <laughs> <laughs> Ginge uh, gave him a proper thwack, but he really was. Uh, it was quite all elbows, Dennis. He must have been an absolute nightmare. But yeah, what a goal! What a player! Um, nice. Well, we've we've uh, both opted for goals against the same team. Uh, I'll go first, and it could have been any. Well, it couldn't really. I think this goal is one of the most memorable of this particular era. It's from none other than Nwankwo Kanu. Uh, great, fun name to say that one. Uh, Wank. <laughs> nice. Uh, we almost made it. <laughs> we almost made it without swearing. There you go. There's your explicit warning. I tried so hard. Uh, anyway. Uh, I ruined it. <laughs> Nwank. Whoa. Uh, goodness sake. Uh, he, of course, we were 2-0 down against Chelsea and he turned the game on its head. And the third goal 
is simply magnificent. This is when the away fans as well uh, were situated uh, in a slightly different place at Stamford Bridge as opposed to behind the goal where they are now. They're on the side of the pitch. And um, the ball's played down the, the left and Carnu runs onto it. Uh, Ed De Hoy has come steaming out, uh, much to, to Frank LeBeuf's surprise. Um, Chelsea also very strong defensively that season. Uh, so this was a pretty unexpected turnaround. He beats De Hoy and he's on the touchline. And he's got a ball's width, you know? He's got no more. He, he has. There's only one place it can go. And he's probably 20 yards out and he bends it perfectly into the side netting over two players on the line. It sort of hits the net and rolls around the net in that beautiful way it can when it's from that angle. Sealing the hat-trick, sealing a memorable win at Stamford Bridge. And we just were so capable of that at that time. But Carnu sort of, he's so underrated, I think, with with uh, at this time. Because he was sandwiched between legends, you know, Messrs Wright and Henri and Bergkamp. But he really was superb. Uh, and he scored a lot of goals this season, but none more memorable than than that. Yeah, and there's, there's two things that I always uh, enjoy about that goal. Firstly, I I just what is Ed De Hoyer doing out out that far? <laughs> what, what what is he doing? I, I have no idea why he's there. And the other thing is when Carnu gets round De Hoyer and he's got that ridiculous angle, Mark Overmars is in the centre of the box screaming for the ball, and you can see just as he hits it, Mark Overmars is angry. He's not happy at all. And then obviously the ball's bent into the top corner and then he's like, oh, all right, then fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I, what I always forget is that that was in the 90th minute. Yeah, like, imagine doing that at any point, let alone in the 90th minute when you know that's that's the game. That's the game right there. Um, I remember when that happened, I I had been out um, playing football with a couple of friends, I think. Um, and when I got home, my dad sat me down like very, very um, dramatically, and he went and he went and he went through the whole game, and he was just like, um, in whatever minute, uh, Chelsea won, Arsenal nil, and then he went Chelsea two, Arsenal nil, and then he started going on the Arsenal thing, and then got to the 90th minute, he was like, 90th minute, Carnu. Chelsea 2, Arsenal 3. And I went mental. I went absolutely <laughs> berserk at the time. And I was like, I, my dad had this tendency of doing that from time to time. But that was obviously the best and most memorable one he ever did because it was so significant. Yeah. Um, so big shout out to Mick Dow. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Okay, and as you already alluded to, my second goal comes from uh, also a game against Chelsea. And it was... Uh, Thierry Henry during his first season at the club and he his second goal at Highbury in a 2-1 win over Chelsea and what this goal was was the ball broke to Bergkamp Bergkamp with a wonderful pass and Henry is then one-on-one with uh, Marcel Dessay and for all intents and purposes it looks like Marcel Dessay is in complete control of the situation and Omri knocks it past Desai and shoulder barges uh, <laughs> Desai out of the way um, in one of the best examples of shoulder-to-shoulder combat in Premier League history. <laughs> and shrugs him aside and then finishes it beautifully. And Desai kind of stands up and looks at the referee like, I know that's not a foul. But do you think maybe you should give us a foul there? And he, he just puts his hands on his hips like as like I don't know what to think of this situation. But I think that was that was really that goal particularly was a real coming of age for Henri in his Arsenal mm. career. We knew that he was a sensational player by that point because he scored a lot of, a lot of goals. But when he did that and produced that moment, um, I think that was really a, a time when we thought, right, this is a player who's got everything. He's got strength, mm. he's got pace, he's got skill, um, he's got this swagger about him and everything about Omri that season just set the tone for his Arsenal career and that was uh, there was no better example than that goal. Ah. Happier Quite. days. Happier days. You know, we started this podcast early on slagging off Chelsea uh, and it is amazing that we both, uh, before we knew we were going to do that, had picked... Uh, goals against Chelsea at a time we absolutely used to just slap them around for fun. 
Um, a bygone era, that is certainly for sure. I hate them. I hate them so much. <laughs> Like every really everything everything about their club I hate. Like just oh no, let's not do it. Let's not go uh, there. Look, look, they are you're gonna say. the lesser of two evils. <laughs> <laughs> they I certainly are. Compartmentalize Frank. I mean, how? But I can compartmentalize Frank and their five hundred million pound strike force lift, lofting that trophy above their head, as long as. Uh, the in, you know the unthinkable doesn't happen. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't end it on that note. On uh, we'll end it on uh, Arsenal are almost just certainly cut. going to beat Mould. <laughs> just cut all of that out. Just cut all of no. that out. Um, no, it's got to stay. It's all right, to stay. Uh, let, let's do this because this we normally the game probably by the time anyone's listened to this will have happened. Uh, so I'm going to say that we beat Mould. 2-1. Yeah. And the goal scorers will be Mustafi Ooh. and Nketiah. Uh, are you going to predict the mould goal scorer? Yes. Um, their striker. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is his, that, that's his name. That's their his striker. Name. Tor, t- Tor striker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to go for a... 3-1 Arsenal win and I'm going to say I think Pepe will be on the score sheet in one way or another Ooh. I'm going to say it yeah. <laughs> no, I think Pepe, Pepe will be on the score sheet okay. and I'm going to be bold here and say Nketiah and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Reese Nelson as well nice nice. I want, maybe that's wishful thinking but I would like a Reese Nelson goal Okay. and do you think um, Runner Runnison gets a run out I would be surprised if Runner Runnison doesn't get run out, but um, we, we, sh- we shall see because there's been plenty of examples where I thought he would and then Leno's played. He must so, be awful. Uh, yeah, he, really, he really must be a dreadful goalkeeper. <laughs> he really must. He really must. Well, look, if uh, if Mustafi or Reese Nelson score, then, you know, happy days. There we go. Much better way to, to sign off. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who's listened to the Boys in Red and White podcast. Uh, If you'd like to see us on social media, we do have a Twitter, Facebook and Instagram account where you can find us by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. And we also have a website, which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you, Andre, for your time as always. It's been a pleasure, if if not a little bit of a sad pleasure. (laughs) Mm, Yes, well, that that tends to be the theme of these, but... uh... Lovely as always, and thank you. Good to good to speak. Lovely as always, and here's to uh, happier times in the not-too-distant future. Thank you, and we'll be back with another podcast next week.